Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, how's it going? It's going all right. What are, how's our volume looking there? Do you, do you, do you sense a, a problem? I see I see bursts of volume. Maybe well, I just think that's so you just know, me. The listeners know more than we do because I, as usual, will not be listening to or, or like testing the sound of the episode before I put it up. <laughs> Which that's because that's how professional we are. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's actually a good policy, but uh, but well, what, what do we I get know? like some sponsorship or something? Exactly from like I don't know Mary Kay or someone like that. <laughs> Uh, Inside that's joke, a joke, always that's... fun to do on the podcast oh, yeah. for the listeners. I have no idea what we're talking about. Um, all right, so I guess at the top of the show we will mention this. So we have uh, finally, at long last, updated our website, um, which is uh, it was a lot of fun, and there's a lot of options that you can go to now. Uh, the show notes are back. Uh, along with that, there's also um, a blog. It will be... Probably, I'd say weekly. Uh, I, I think it'll probably be more than weekly. Yeah, I can't. I'm. A, I don't have as many opinions as I thought I did. Okay, but well, well I'll, I'll throw it to you. I feel more comfortable expressing my opinions in written form than in spoken form, anyway. So, hmm. So, is this? Tell you what, you take care of the blog. I'll do the podcast. Okay. <laughs> what do you think of that? Um, but yeah, so we'll. Uh, so there will be that, and then also there's. Uh, What's called the movie of the week, which uh, several people have said that they, you know, like the show because, like, we recommend movies. And so what we're going to do, there's just going to be one movie a week. Uh, and these that, will be not movies that we recommended in the podcast. Right. These are just, yeah, just independently. Just separate things, and there will be, like, you know, a little blurb about it so you so you know what it's about, and, and there you go. Uh, on top of that, there is also uh, a guest book, so you can just leave us little messages. There's also a forum uh, where you can, you know, respond to topics. You can start your own topic and discuss with us or with other listeners. So, um, well, I just want to say, Tyler, you say that we updated the the website, but listeners, Tyler did all the work. <laughs> he deserves a lot of credit because it looks really great, and I'm really happy with it. And uh, and and thank you, Tyler, and congratulations on the website. Oh, it's, it's no problem. Um, but uh, but yeah, so. You know, give it a look. And, uh, oh, there's also, uh, you can find out more about uh, our guests that we've had over the last uh, year or so. And uh, also there's a, a list of, like, links of, like, other podcasts and other websites that we like and that we recommend. So, uh, okay. so yeah, BattleshipPretension.com. Uh, you know, leave us a message or, uh, or whatever. So there you go. So there's that. Okay. Anything else you wanted to get to? Okay, there's two things on my mind, David. Okay. All right. The first thing we hinted at last week. We teased it. We teased it. Uh, For being short and fat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why you tease people. Or maybe they have a speech impediment. Maybe this, exactly. Yeah. Um, see, I was, you know, when I was younger, I was tall and fat, didn't get teased very much. Of course, because people think you're going to beat them up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Danny DeVito, he's in trouble. But um, anyway, so uh, basically, and this is this this is uh, like a couple weeks old at this point. Um, so I was reading this article about this war of words between Clint Eastwood and Spike Lee. Uh, Spike Lee is uh, releasing this year a uh, war movie. Cannot remember the name of it. I saw a trailer for it. it looks pretty good, and uh, 
in his would you in in general would you call yourself a Spike Lee fan? In general, yes. I, I as well. Yeah, he's got some serious missteps on his on his CV. Yes, but uh, but when yeah. he's I mean when he is uh, when he's stepping right, I mean I can't think of uh, of many working directors that are better than that. I mean, Twenty Fifth Hour is amazing. Do the Right Thing is amazing. Malcolm X. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so there's this movie coming out, and uh, and I believe the vast majority of the main characters are black. So he, I don't know where, I don't know what the, if I didn't read the whole interview, so I don't know if it was a leading question or something like that, or he just went out of his way to comment that in Flags of Our Fathers, which I have not seen, David. Uh, that, I, I like it. I don't love it, but I like it. Okay. And I, I did see Letters from Iwo Jima, and I did like that as well. But um, but he commented that in Flags of Our Fathers that there were, uh, like, no black people in it. And he was very bothered by that because in that particular battle there were black soldiers. But he was very he was very bothered by the fact that Clint Eastwood did not incorporate any uh, any black you know actors or anything like that. Um, but uh, anyway, so then Clint Eastwood, I don't know, and I didn't read this interview either. I read an article that basically summed up their comments. But somebody had informed him, hey, by the way, this is what Spike Lee said. Clint Eastwood, in typical Harry Callahan fashion, <laughs> says, you know, he like he said and he says an eloquent argument saying like, well, frankly, the, the soldiers that I was zeroing in on were not black. You know, I it's was a true story. It's a true story. And he was focusing on these specific guys as opposed to the whole, you know, the whole platoon or whatever. Um, and then, of course, he caps his comments with a guy like a guy like that reference, referencing Spike Lee. A guy like that really needs to shut his face. <laughs> and so, um, well, thankfully, this was brought to a, a quick close because Spike Lee uh, decided to take the Obama high road. Oh, hang on. But not before. Here's the thing. OK, so then somebody says to Spike Lee, hey, you know, he just told you to shut your face. And then he uh, he's like, well, he can't, you know, he can't tell me what to say. He's oh, like, because yeah. this, you know, he's like, because we're not on a plantation, you know, or something like that. And then a few, and so it goes back and forth. And then later on, Spike Lee decides to end it. And he says, I'm going to take the, he goes, I'm going to take the Obama route and go and take the high road. And I'm not going to. I'm not yeah, going to do this his anymore. His literal quote is, I'm taking the Obama high road. The Obama high road, yes. Which yes. I don't know what that means, really. I guess it's just the idea of Obama as, you know, he's more than just a typical politician. He's not going to play these games. He's going to be above it. And what bothers me is just like, okay, reg- regardless of your feelings of about Obama, let's say in theory that, like, the high road literally just means I'm not going to engage in this anymore. This is beneath me. Uh-huh. But just in general, it's like... Odd that you managed to get that plantation quote in before you decided yeah. to take the high road, and it just real quick another tangent within this. Okay, Obama's a great candidate, but yeah, he you say he like the idea that Spike Lee is putting across is that he's not you know just a typical politician, right? No, he is. He's he's a typical politician. Yes, he he's is. Just, uh, he, he's a, he's a good one, you yeah. know, and and he's a smart guy, and he seems like he'd probably make a good president. Yeah, but he's not you know he's not Jesus, he, right? He's just a politician. Yeah, and he should be treated as warily as any other politician. Perhaps even more so because he's being held up on that <laughs> right. on that pedestal. Okay, but, but back to this. But anyway, it's dumb. Here's here's okay. what I think happened. I think because Spike Lee's in general his complaint is a valid one. Yeah, I think he just reached uh, in in the midst of 
of giving a, an interview or whatever, just reached for a recent World War Two movie. Yeah. Uh, and he grabbed the wrong one. <laughs> uh, yes. Because you could say, you know, there's, you know, you could say about Saving Private Ryan because that's a fictional story. So yeah. why not, you yeah. know, uh, um, give some screen time to that. But uh, Flies Are Our Fathers has plenty of good reasons for right. having two white characters and a Native American character because that's who the movie is about. Right. Like real people. So it, it seems like he just grabbed the wrong movie. And then somehow, I don't know if he's, like, a really prideful person maybe or something, but yeah. doesn't seem to want to let it go. Like, he's like, well, I've made, you know, he made his bed. Now he's got to let right. it be stubborn. Now he has to thrash around in it. Um, in fact, uh, you know, making a mistake and then uh, refusing to acknowledge that you made a mistake, I would say he took the George Bush low road. <laughs> well done, sir. Um, yeah, it uh, – and what, what's more is just let's say in th- let's say theoretically – he didn't just pick one out of thin air. He literally just went. He's like, like he saw flags of our fathers, and he's like, you know what? There's a, you know what? There's not enough black people in this. Like, I don't like. Like, what is David to you? What is more offensive? Is it the idea that you make a movie and there's like you know no black characters in it, or you make a movie and you literally just make a couple peripheral characters black, literally? Token black characters, like what? What? What oh, would you say is more? The offensive? latter is more offensive. Okay, and I feel like that's. I feel like he just wants that. He doesn't want a movie told about black characters. He simply wants this, like a perfunctory, like there are black soldiers, so just put them in there. And it's like, yeah, okay, but the story's not about them. Just yeah. I don't care. Just throw them in there. But in a way, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we talked about this with with Wyatt when. Uh, when he was on the show, Wyatt Snack uh, mm-hmm. of The Daily Show. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and we were talking about The Matrix, you know, and, and Wyatt's words were uh, essentially that he was just glad to see him. Um, the world of the movie looked like the world that he lived in. Right. You know, because there are lots of people of color in, right. in The Matrix. Uh, and I, so I don't know that Spike Lee is necessarily saying what you're saying, but just that like a movie like Saving Private Ryan, you know, yeah. there were a certain percentage of black soldiers yeah. in World War II, so why shouldn't there be a certain percentage of black soldiers in the cast? Right. And especially I don't that, know that one was necessarily where, tokenism. Especially well, in a, in a movie like that especially where so many characters are kind of archetypes anyway. I mean, yeah. there's the, you know, there's a, the Jewish guy, there's the, you know, there's like the quiet Christian guy, there's the medic. I mean, there really is there's the rebel guy. I mean, there's really like all these different archetypes. And so in that one, yeah, they probably could have had a, not a token character, but a strong, uh, black character. But like in something like flags of our fathers, it really feels like it would have been shoehorned in. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, so it just, I, I was just We've gone on long enough about this. Okay. Yeah, Cause so. I think you, you had another grievance did, to air. I did. As if this were Festivus. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. David, you and I have, have, uh, you know, talked about what we don't like about the Academy. Okay. I'm starting to feel like, as much as I don't like the Academy, I'm starting to feel like... No, we're, we're talking about Annapolis, the, Acad- the Naval Academy? Of course, yes. Okay. No, thank you. Not for me. <laughs> they discourage creative... Th- anyway. Um, but the... Uh, I'd say I no longer... Like, now I feel like I'm, I have more of a beef with the American Film Institute. Because, okay. and I think I may have ex- expressed something like this before, but I was talking with somebody the other day, 
because the AFI has released another list. In fact, a list of lists uh, where it like picked a lot of subgenres, like I think ten subgenres, and said these are the ten best in each genre. Okay, which is fine. Uh-huh. But literally, it's getting to the point where it's like, okay, they've made several lists. Lawrence of Arabia, admittedly a wonderful film, is on three of them. Like, it's getting to the point now where it's like, you know, if you are literally... Do- I don't know. I mean, maybe it's not... The- maybe the- they feel this isn't their responsibility, but, like, the thing that I... The comparison I made, literally, it's like listening to a classic rock station in, I don't know, southern Missouri, where uh-huh. if you were to... Like, if you only listen to this station, as far as you know, in the 70s, there were only about 60 songs. Like, right. you know, where and like, it's just- 15 of them were Radar Love. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, and it's just and it's frustrating because I feel like if like it's one thing if the AFI is going to make their top hundred list of all time, fair enough, or their top hundred actors, that's fine too. But like if they're re- if they're going to get specific enough to br- say like oh uh, war or courtroom drama or something uh-huh. like that, which is definitely a subgenre and a very specific one, like if they're going to do that, like part of me feels like well. You know, we already know about a lot of these movies, and if you're well, going to get this specific, maybe bring up something we aren't aware of, but it's still wonderful. Well, here's where I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. Uh, AFI and its lists, um, they're not for us. Right. I, uh, that's they, true. They're not for people like us. They're for the sort of mainstream uh, – AFI is essentially uh, – it's like a PR firm for – Hollywood history. Okay. They're essentially, all they're, I think all they're trying to do is to find a way to get people interested in watching older films. So yeah. if they go for something that's maybe better, but like not – maybe more obscure, people aren't going to bother, you know? Yeah. But if they keep hammering Lawrence of Arabia, people go, yeah, maybe I'll check that one out, you know? And, and, and then that gets them it, – it, it's, it's, I think it's, it's just essentially – it, like I said, it's meant to get people in, normal people interested in older films. So you feel like if they repeat – you know movies which they which they do frequently that it's really more of a function of you know somebody sees that this movie is being repeated over and over and they're like wow and it's it's also maybe they, I they, should see it yeah they see that uh, you know um, there may be obvious choices to us but to that to a normal person to see like uh, you know a, you know Bridge on the River Kwai is is consistently mentioned alongside movies that I care about like Goodfellas or whatever right you know. Seeing those together on a list makes, yeah. I think, is going to make people go, "Oh, I should probably check out some older films." Apparently, I guess they're my, comparable to the films that I like. I guess my view is like it's almost like, well, you've already made the top hundred. Like you've already mentioned Lawrence of Arabia like twice. Uh-huh. I guess maybe it's just like it's like they keep bringing up the same ones, you know? Yeah, but but the, maybe the, it is the one normal of those audience things. isn't like looking at the two lists side well, by side <laughs> you know they're not they're not analyzing it the way we would yeah i just i don't have i i'm not in touch with the common man David. i think that's that's what it is <laughs> but uh, so that was you're, just you know obama exa- <laughs> all right but, well uh, let's get into it so that was we? yeah so that was just my grievance and uh and i'm fine with uh Did with you being incorrect say, let's get into it shall you know what absolutely yes i'm sorry what was that let's get into it shall we indeed we need to move. I'm trying to move the show along. That's fine. I, I've got somewhere to be. So yes. Uh, okay. So uh, those who listened last week know what's going on today, or those who read the description of the episode before they listen to it in the show notes at battleshippretension.com. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, it's week two of uh, of pandering to you guys, the audience, where, <laughs> where we make our our lists. Um, 
And today, today we are doing Tyler and I each are presenting our our five favorite female actors. Female actors, that's right. So I kicked us off last week. Let's say you you kick us off this week, David. Okay. Um, I, I put I put this 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 woman at at number five because I don't think she's the greatest actor. Obviously, she's at, no at, at at best number five. Um, but I don't think she's a really Really fantastic actor. She's just something I, someone I really enjoy watching, okay. and usually takes a, a, a unique uh, view of the character. And that's uh, Zoe Deschanel. Okay. Um, I haven't seen the happening yet. Yeah. Nineteen uh, percent on RottenTomatoes.com. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'd seen. Um, she's in. Uh, she's in. She was like. She was in Mumford. I think was probably the first thing that oh, I yeah. that I saw her in. Uh, the movie, which is sort of a, it's a respectable mess. Uh, yeah, uh, she was an almost famous, and she was in Manic. I think is when I really, which uh, I actually have never seen. Um, it's, uh, I think you'd like it. Uh, it's, it's definitely an, an actory type of movie, and yeah. it's, it's a little, it's a little over the top, you know. Okay. But uh, it's got, it's got Don Cheadle and uh, and right. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, and then it's, it's a bunch of kids at like a sort of psychiatric hospital. Okay. Um, I could see there being a lot of over the top stuff. In something yeah. like that, um, and then there was the Good Girl, which is uh, an, again I haven't a, seen that one either. It's a film that I just oh that's too bad because um, it's a really it, her part is not big at all in it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's she's definitely part of the comic relief. I mean, the movie has a lot of funny ish parts. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I respect Mike White, but I can never go I can never like, go so far as to call his movies funny. They're always funny ish. You know? The School of Rock is funny to me. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I guess I'm, th- I'm thinking specifically of Good Girl and You're the Dog, the yeah. two his two directorial efforts that they're just. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. They're they're nearly funny, um, <laughs> but uh, Zoe Deschanel is great. She's just the sort of uh, jaded, sarcastic uh, Walmart employee. Yeah. Um. So. You know, it's. Oh, I'm sorry. It's. She's an interesting actress because. When I think of her, I think of funny. Like, I think of comedy, yeah. you know. And But she does – she is very attractive, and she kind of ha- – especially, like, her voice is kind of deeper. I'd say she's almost like a funny Scarlett Johansson, where, like, she is still, like, very attractive, but she's got the chops to, like, make me legitimately chuckle. Yeah. Um, like, I remember her in, like, you know, Elf, and uh, I yeah. believe – was she in uh, – was she in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, yeah. She's yeah. Trillion. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, she's fantastic in that. I really like that movie. Yeah. It's it's also not as much as a, of, a, of a mess as Mumford, but it's... Right. It doesn't cohere like it should. Yeah. But, uh... uh I really enjoy it. Um, but... Uh, and, of course, she was in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. She was. Um but uh, the uh sort of the one movie I really want to talk about of course is All the Real Girls. Okay. Uh which I haven't seen. Wow. Wow. You know what? This is going to This is going to show people something about you this okay. episode. Cuz I think we're going to talk about a lot of movies. I'm going to be talking about a lot of movies that you haven't seen. Yeah. And this is why I always uh, jokingly call you not in life you're not a misogynist. Yeah. But your film viewing tendencies are definitely male uh, centric. I don't mean that you watch gay porn. That's how that came out. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, it did sound a little. It's like it's a little. Uh, well, how do I put this? Um, <laughs> yeah. 
but uh, okay, well, maybe I'll answer that right now. Um, yeah, it's not necessarily. I mean, if you when we go through my list, you'll see that you know. I mean, I'm certainly not opposed to movies with you know strong female characters, but I think just it's much. You know, it's I'd say it's a lot like uh, you know if you look at my top ten of all time, you know, they're not only are they all like American or British films, but what's more is they explore the theme of what America is mm-hmm. and what the West is. And it's just a theme that I tend to respond to a lot. And much in the same way, um, movies that deal with, you know, what what it means to be a man and what and, and that sort of thing. You know, movies like Affliction and Glengarry Glen Ross and, you know, Roger Dodger and stuff like that. I do tend to gravitate towards those po- quite possibly because I am a man. Right. It, yeah. I have nothing against movies that explore what it means to be female, but... I think it's just I naturally feel like oh man that that male character is really strong and there are certain things I can relate to as a man yeah so uh, yeah it, we we will probably be revealing certain things about me as we go along and I have uh, on the flip side of the coin I have seen uh, a, like way more movies about women and gay men that than that you than you would expect yeah uh, it's it's definitely. So, li- listeners, who's in the wrong here? <laughs> I am embracing my uh, my gender. So, all the girls. Um, here's what I love about her character. She's she's young, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Deschanel uh, manages to play the character. Uh, I think there there are either I think there'd be two temptations to play this role, and often when you're playing someone who's younger than you are, uh, I say that like I'm an actor, but uh, you see this happen. It's to the, the idea is the temptation is to either make them wise beyond their years so right. that they're easier for the actor to identify with, yeah, or to simplify them to teenage stereotypes. Uh, uh, yes, I think th- those are the two temptations, and she walks the line so perfectly. She. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember how old she's supposed to be in the movie, 16 or 17 or something. Um, and she – it was almost like just watching it. I mean, I was only 20, 21 when it came out, hmm. but uh, it seemed – she seemed so much like a high schooler that I had – like high schoolers that I had known and had gone to yeah. high school with. Uh uh, that, that, that's that's really I think the, the selling point for me on her uh, is is that performance and and her small role in Brid- Bridge to Terabithia a movie that I championed oh yeah because um, uh, again it, that's that's like the Good Girl it's it's she probably gets about as much, as much screen time in Bridge to Terabithia as she does in the Good Girl okay. but it's a more important role in Bridge to Terabithia I think okay. at least uh, you saw it right yeah um, at least um, in building the world of the characters uh, she. She's a she's a teacher who sort of takes the one kid under her wing in a way, yeah. but not like in a really over the top dead poet society type of way. Right. Um, uh, but she, uh, another thing she she doesn't um, she there are boundaries that exist between a teacher and a student that have to exist in the real world. Right. You know, it can't always be like it is in the movies. They can't be that good of friends. You know, right. these boundaries have to exist, and she. In her performance, she recognizes that, yeah. so you can see how much she is feeling for this kid, you know, and and, and hurting for him, and and you know, and, and hoping for him. Uh, but there's there's a wall that has to be there that society is placed there, yeah. uh, 
it, for good reason, and she uh, she gets that message across. It, it never gets too too treacly. Yeah, she does in that. She really does seem like uh, like a new teacher. I, you know, where like she really she can convey, in spite of the fact that she can convey sarcasm incredibly well, she mm-hmm. also can convey this very like idealistic kind of thing. And so, like her role as like the young teacher who really wants to do good and really wants to help her students, like it really comes through. But not as you say, not in a Robin Williams like yeah. I want to help every student in the world kind <laughs> right. of way. Um, yeah, she's she's a very she's a very genuine actress. I'd say I'd say she's she's fairly rare uh, among you know just any any actor because she's just she's really quite beautiful but mm-hmm. she is completely realistic uh in everything as well like i saw in uh oh my gosh now i've forgotten the name winter or something or other uh winter passing winter passing thank you i didn't um, see that yeah and that is a movie that is funny and dramatic and sometimes it winds up being a little too much in either direction mm-hmm. but she is a very much a, she's the main character and she's very much a stabilizing force in that film um, and she captures like the the tragic element, but also she can turn around often in the same scene and can make you chuckle a little bit, you know, at how ridiculous it all is anyway. So it's yeah, she's a really, really unique actress. Um, and I'm interested to see where her career goes in the next 10 years, because I think she could be one of like one of the best, like one that people know about. Yeah. And uh, did did you say that uh, you were watching, starting to watch Weeds, or your wife was watching Weeds? Uh, Jen Jen is like two up, uh, two seasons into Weeds now. If she's at the end of season two, okay. uh, then she might have seen uh, Zoe Deschanel does uh, like the last three episodes of season two and the first episode of season three. She's she's in in those, and it's it's worth watching. It's a it's an over the top comedic performance, okay. but she again injects a bit of humanity where you start to instead of just being like wow this character's crazy there are a couple points where you're like god she's a really bad person a really bad <laughs> influence uh, i'm intrigued now i i always wanted to start watching weeds but it was one of those things where you know uh like jen started watching it and then i would like go off to work or something mm-hmm. and then and then i'd be like now i want to watch it with you so don't watch you know watch maybe this one episode and then i'll watch the rest with you and of course She's watched them all, and it's like, oh, well, so much yeah. for that. I watched the first season of Weeds in a Night. Yeah, uh, I mean, which five, is not hard like to five do. five hours. But, yeah. Uh, but uh, you know what? I've, uh, to get off topic a little bit, talk about television, I've had to sort of prune my television watching lately. Okay. Because it was distracting me from my movie watching. That's I was right. starting to become more of a TV nerd than a film nerd, and that's... Yeah. Not where I'm comfortable. I, uh, I I love film more. It's just easier to be a TV nerd because you don't have to leave the house to do it. Um, <laughs> uh, and so the season season four of Weeds has started. Yeah. And I've I've cut it loose. I uh, really. I'm not, it 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 came up on the chopping block, and I had to. It had to be one one that had to go. So what are you watching? Right now, the only thing that I'm watching that is currently in season, and it's terrible, but I keep watching it is Secret Diary of a Call Girl on Showtime, which follows Weeds. Okay. Uh, it's not a good show, but I can't stop watching it. I mean, it's only been two episodes, but... Uh, so you kept the guilty pleasure. You cut loose the, su- the stuff that you were... That you well, had weeds invested is kind of a guilty pleasure, is anyway, it? to me. Yeah, it's... Uh, anyway. But, uh... 
Yeah, and then once you know, once the fall season starts again, of course right. I'll be I'll have I'll have lost, and I'll have uh, my Desperate Housewives, which I like, and um, and CSI, of course. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, moving on to your number five. All right, we're moving into snail's pace today. Oh my. Okay. Well, I'll I'll say this really quick before I get to my number five. I guess you could call this like an honorable mention. I was telling you about this last right. night that uh, there is an actress out there right now who she hasn't done enough really notable things to warrant inclusion on this list. And I haven't. But I feel like if she continues going at the pace that she is now like really turning in great performances. Uh, she could very well wind up on my list because she really is great. Her name is Margot Martindale. Uh, she's been working for years, but I think she probably really popped up on the radar in million dollar baby mm-hmm. as yeah. uh, Hillary Swank's mom. And just, I mean, she plays such a, I mean, the way that character is written, you could have overplayed it so much, uh-huh. but she seems like one of those people. I know that sounds mean, <laughs> but just the way she moves, you know, the way, her, like, her body language and everything, like, there's one little moment. Especially you, for uh, quite a while, lived in the, the... I lived in the Ozarks. The part of America where she's yeah. from. And, I mean, you know, there are people like that would come, they would come into the store and stuff. But there's one moment where Hillary Swank buys her mom a house, but her mom doesn't want it because then the government will be like, hey, where'd you get this house? And they might take away her welfare. And, like, these, when she's talking about how much she needs her welfare, like, that is a, like, those are lines that are rife with, like, caricature possibilities. Uh-huh. And she does, she doesn't do it. She yeah. seems like somebody who legitimately feels that she needs this. And, but she does this thing where she goes, she goes, why did, it's like, why couldn't you just give me the money? Why'd you have to buy me a house? And she does this thing with her hands and her uh-huh. arms, and you're like, that is perfect. <laughs> That's but she's also great in uh, the riches. She plays uh, the next door neighbor, uh, and she is positively heartbreaking in Paris Tem. Oh, okay. uh, she acts in uh, Alexander Payne's film. Oh, okay. And it's really great. But anyway, all right. So moving on. I wanted to just bring that up. But okay, so my number five is Judy Dench. Sure. So uh, you know, and she's great in everything. I mean, it just kind of everyone knows her by this point, but. Uh, I'll I'll specify that, uh, in fact, you know, The Shipping News, Chocolat, Shakespeare in Love, she's really great in the James Bond films, she's great in Pride and Prejudice, but I would say uh, she really popped up on my radar in Mrs. Brown, which came out in 97. Which I haven't seen, actually. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. And her performance is just, I mean, it's it's everything you would expect that character and that, you know, to be, where very tight-lipped, very... You know, but Judy Dench has really cornered the market on playing like, you know, somebody like a uh, an old English woman who's just very strong-willed and like can like burn through you, through you with her eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. And in that performance, but it, there's also a great deal of vulnerability in that part uh, because she her character has fallen in love, um, and really does feel that, but uh, is aware that there's a great deal of scandal to it. So it's a, it's a really solid performance. And speaking of scandal, David, uh-huh. I will bring up what is in my view, probably her best performance, which is in notes on a scandal, which I haven't seen. Didn't see that one, huh? Two strong lead female performances. No, it's, um, but that was one that I made the, I, I was playing at the Arclight when I worked there. I could have yeah. gone to see it. I did not want to, you know, and frankly, because it is everything about, Everything about it 
seems like the kind of thing where it's over-the-top, kitchen-sink melodrama. Uh, and by virtue of three amazing lead performances by her and Kate Blanchett and Bill Nighy, um, they really bring it down to earth, but especially Judy Dench, who is given... Real, real quick, speaking of working with the Arclight, you know who does go to see a Notes on the Scandal? Who? Mike Tyson. Mike <laughs> I saw him at the, saw him the theater twice. Uh, he came in twice during, during the time that I worked there. Notes on a scandal? Breaking and entering. Breaking – that's right. That's, <laughs> do you think it's just the titles that he's just like, I got to see I this? I think that it's um, cruel of you to assume that these, that, <laughs> that these movies are above him intellectually. Uh, you know what? F- fair enough. I'm sorry. Um, but uh, – No, I think that's a safe assumption. Yes, yes, absolutely. He's gotten punched in the head enough that – but, you know, who among us can say we have a video game named after us? Among us? Neither. No, neither. Between you and me, I know I haven't. No. Um, but, uh, but in Notes on a Scandal, I mean, she, her, she is required to do... I mean, she's playing a character that is almost Dickensian. I mean, she's just... She's clearly a lesbian, and she may not be aware of it. She seems <laughs> to know it, but I don't think she would ever call herself that. You know, I'd say similar to like David Morris David in, in Slaughter, uh, Slaughter Rule. Rule, but uh, you know, there's a moment where spoilers, uh, her cat dies, and she's she's an old spinster. You know, she her cat is really the only thing she's got until Kate Blanchett comes along, and um, and when her cat dies, I mean, it is like I mean, it's real tears. Like you really feel like it's as if somebody, you know, it's it's as if her husband died. You know, and it's just a moment that could be played as really overwrought and really ridiculous because hey, it's just a cat. But well, the, the thought of, I have two cats. The thought of losing one of my cats, uh, yeah, it tears me up inside. Uh, the thought of losing Charlie, my cat, it really gets me now. Yeah. But but at the same time, you know, it would have been easy. In the scope of all the things that are happening in the movie, the death of a cat is probably not that big of a deal. But hmm. Judy Dench realizes that for this character, this is the biggest thing that could happen. And so... She really plays it real. She doesn't overplay it to let everyone know. It's just like, look, we all know this is not actually that big of a deal. But uh, it's just an amazing, complex performance that I, I cannot, I can barely describe it. Because, and David, I got to say, I know I need to see all the movies you just mentioned with Zoe Deschanel, but you've got to see Notes on a Scandal, if for no other reason than the, the three lead performances. So that's okay. my number five, David. Moving on. Uh, well, my number four is going to be on your list later, so let's go to your number four. Okay. My number four is Laura Linney. Who Stellar is... choice. She would probably, if this list went to six, okay, she would be my number six. Yeah. She never ceases to amaze me. I mean, she really, I remember I saw her, well, I first saw her in Congo, and uh, where you are the endangered species, David. <laughs> um, and uh, she's given, you know what? She's given crap dialogue, and she does as much with it as she can. Um, but, uh, and then she was in the Truman show and she just did a really solid job there. There's not much to the character. I mean, she's supposed to be kind of oversized and silly and Mm kind of strange and, you know, like June Cleaver. But, uh, but then she was in, you can count on me. And that honestly, I may view like, as you know, David, I make lots and lots of lists Uh and, when I was very bored one day in my uh, chemistry and daily life class, which I did not do well in, um, 
I made a list of like my favorite perf- lead performances by an actor, favorite lead performances by an actor, uh, an actress, and then I went to like supporting, and I'm like, uh-huh. okay, I need to stop this and maybe get a good grade. Um, but n- uh, number one on my list of lead performances by a female actor was her performance in You Can Count on Me. I mean, it's so. It seemed like I, I, I know she was she was in the Truman Show and of course of course Congo. Yeah, but. Uh, no, I mean, it wasn't enough that I I didn't know her name or anything before. Yeah. You you can count on me. It really snuck up on me. Like yeah, I felt like how do you how does someone not already have like how, how is this the first time that I have really noticed her and it's this right. huge role and it's she, it's so amazing. Like shouldn't she have been doing this for years by now? And it's I mean it's exactly the kind of I mean she's given so much to do. It's such a small movie. I mean it's really. There's not a complex story or anything. Her character is really just this, a single mother who's just trying to provide for a kid. And, but she also has some serious issues with men where she is just attracted to the wrong ones, but then she just feels obligated to her, to them. And it's just a, it's an, it really is an amazing performance. And she, I absolutely believe her. I believe that I could travel to this, to this town and meet this woman. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's just that movie in general. I mean, Mark Ruffalo is amazing and it. it's just a all, all around, but that movie really put her on the map for me. And even if she wasn't in the savages and Kinsey and the squid and the whale and John Adams and breach turning in great performances in all of them, she might make this list based on you can count on me because yeah. it's such an amazing role. She of course lost, the Oscar to Julia Roberts for Aaron Brockovich, which is a, a movie about a heroic it's, single mother. It's weird that – it seems weird to me that those movies come out in the same year. And I yeah. think the reason is because – you can count on me seems more recent to me because I've rewatched it since it came out. Right. Whereas I've seen Aaron Brockovich the once and yeah. I'm done. I don't I'm good. need to see it anymore. Yeah, but, uh, but I want to talk about you talk about uh, going to the town and meeting – you yeah. believe you can meet this person. It's the same thing for me with The Savages. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of dimensions to her character. There's not just the one thing. But one of the main things is that she is a liar. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's not like, you know, she's not like, like Benjamin Linus on Lost, that kind right. of liar, you know, where it's, uh, it's she doesn't like, it's not very arch, you know, and she's not like, she has some grand scheme. She's just a person. She's not who, John Lovitz. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, I got this grant. Yeah, she's just a person who lies. And yeah. if you've known people like that, it's 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 amazing how well she nails it. Yeah, and it's and and you really feel and what's more is she lies, but at no point did I feel any kind of scorn for her, only pity, really. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is that when you've got uh you know, when you've got your Benjamin Linus, you see uh, a liar as someone evil, and when you've got your yeah. John Lovitz, you see a liar as someone funny. Yeah. But really in real life, when you meet someone who who lies compulsively, yeah, uh, or pathologically, or whatever, because uh, those two things mean different things, and I get them mixed up. But right. uh, uh, the real emotion that you should have is sorrow. Yeah, because I mean, she lies out of, out of, in her view, probably necessity. Uh-huh. Like she feels like she is lesser than her brother. She feels like she needs to try and impress people, and so she will just lie. And it's one of those things where you're just like. You just want to like hug her and be like, "This is really not going to do the trick," you know. Like, you, yeah. 
Like, they may be impressed for the five minutes right after you lie, but eventually they're going to find out the truth. And what then? And it's just, uh, yeah, and her, you're absolutely right. Her scenes in that are amazing. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're going slow, so let's, let's uh, pick it up and go to your, uh, your number three. Okay, well, this should be a quick one, because I actually haven't seen that many films with her. Okay. Um, but it's, uh, it's Deborah Kerr. Okay. I'm not sure if that's actually how you say her last name. I've heard Kerr and Carr. Yeah, because it might be a Scottish because she's Scottish. It might be, yeah. it might be Carr. I don't know. Uh, Scottish listeners, if we have any, let us know how to pronounce Deborah Kerr. Carr. Uh, <laughs> so I guess um, we'll go chronologically mm-hmm. uh, and start with um, the life and death of Colonel Blimp. Oh yeah, which is a film that I know you love. I of course love it too. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a Powell and Pressburger film. Is it? Is it? It's a Pressburger film, too, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, and she uh, plays three roles. Yeah. Um, they all are essentially uh, objects of, uh, I guess, objects of, of love for Colonel Blimp. I, I don't know if they all I, are love. Well, here's the thing. The second one in particular, because he, he marries her. Right. The first one is clearly an object of love. Right. The se- The second and third... Are things are objects of wistfulness or regret, perhaps, right. because the idea is spoilers, I guess, uh, that he basically he loves this nurse uh-huh. and Edith. The, I don't remember the name of the character, but and basically he lets her go because this other guy also loves her and being the proper British gentleman that he is. Well, I I don't want to stand in the way of that man, even though I'm probably more in love with her. Yeah. Than this guy. Um, Who plays his name's uh, Candy? Cli- uh, Clive Wynn Candy. Clive Wynn Candy. That's yeah. the character's name. Yes. Who plays him? Uh, I will. Roger Livesey. Okay. He's um, great in that. He is great. I don't great. really know his work that much. You know, that's the only thing of his I've seen. But uh, yeah, quick tangent, everybody. Uh, the Life and Death of Colonel Blimp. It's, it's long. Uh. It's. Over three hours, but it is worth every second. It yeah. is a wonderful film. But, um, but yeah, basically, so so because he lost his his first and possibly only true love, the next two women to come into his life that are significant are played by that actress. And so it really, I mean, just, she doesn't even, even necessarily have to open her mouth to know that, like, oh, this, just the casting of her in both of those roles says, speaks volumes about Clive Wynn Candy, you know, but she's great in all three, and, and she's it, very different in all three. And it's a, yes, and really because it's it's necessary for the story. And first off, I want to say I think earlier I referred to the main character as Colonel Blimp, which I always make that mistake. Right, because that's not his name at all. Right, it's, there's not a character named Colonel Blimp in the movie. Yeah, which is part of why the movie's awesome. <laughs> uh, Research it, listeners, because I don't want to explain it. Um, essentially. Uh, it's, it's necessary for the story for there to be similarities between all all three, mm-hmm. among all three characters, uh, beyond just all looking like Deborah Kerr. Right. Uh, and what she does is essentially makes – there are three very different women on the surface. And then yeah. underneath that – and this is the mark of any great performance or actor is to be able to play surface and – what's the – and undercurrent at yeah. the same time. You know, uh, underneath that are the, are the qualities that – that that tied the characters together, right? And that's the thing is, you know, it would have been a, a lesser actress would have simply 
either play them all as completely different or play them all as completely the same. But, like, she understands that it's like, there's a reason I've been cast in all three. So I need to bring something inside that the audience recognizes and that Clive Wincandy recognizes. But I'm not, I can't just play the same role, you know? And, uh, and yeah, I mean, she does seem like a different character in each one, but each of them have that kind of inner thing. And, uh, yeah, great, three great performances. Okay, uh, then I want to mention, which we talked about this movie at some length when we did our favorite movies of all time, uh, right. Black Narcissist. Yeah. In which she plays uh, Sister Cloda. Cloda is such a great name. Is it? Yeah. C-L-O-D-A-G-H. Cloda. It's such a cool name. It sounds like a sexually transmitted disease to me. No. No, you're wrong. Okay, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, and this is another incredibly conflicted and multi-layered performance because yeah. she is uh, uh, she joined the uh, nunhood. I don't know what the word is. She became a nun. There you go. Uh, in the sort of wake of a of a of a traumatic romance, romance essentially. Yeah. Um, so she's got that, but she's also very dedicated to being a nun. She's got her her piety. Yeah, but she's also feeling lust for this uh, strapping uh, sample of British manhood <laughs> <laughs> in the sweltering Indian jungle. Yeah, uh, and and all all these things are going on at once. And she, uh, it, now I can't remember the name of the other main nun, the one who goes crazy with lust. I can't remember her name now. It's not because it's not as cool as Coda. That's why. Damn it, it's going to drive me crazy. I can't remember her name. Anyway, uh, she, being the uh, sort of leader of them, you know, she has to, she can't do what this woman does. It's clear what she wants to do. Even though this this woman who goes crazy with lust is looked on with scorn or whatever. Yeah. uh, It's, that reaction is is within Sister Clota as well. Yeah. But uh, she has to be more of a grown-up. Not just because she's made a promise, like, you know, to herself that I can't give into this, but because all the other nuns are looking to her yes. for leadership. Uh, so, and then uh, we need to move along, but I also want to mention From Here to Eternity. Which uh, I, I haven't seen that one. you got to see it. It's an amazing movie. I, okay. I love that movie. And she, of course, is captured in one of the iconic Hollywood images of her right. and Burt Lancaster on the beach with the, the waves uh, washing over them, which I I love that that's seen as uh, like a visual pinnacle of of romance because yeah. that is a scene of adultery. She's married to someone else <laughs> in 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 that in that role. That, that's funny to me. Not to mention like just every time I see that cover, I think of like the logistics and the practicality of it. I'm like I would not be able to focus on what I'm doing, you know, because like. <laughs> You get, like, salt water up your nose and stuff because the water is really <laughs> running over them. I mean, it's not like it's touching their feet and going away. Oh, yeah. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't deal with it. But uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I need to see the movie because yeah. I think I'm focusing on the wrong thing here. Um, all right. So what, what number are we on here? Um, did we need to do your number three. My number no, three. We just did your number. No, we did my number four, which is Laura Linney. Oh, right, because we're going me, then you this time. Right. So yeah, you're number three. My number three is Kate Winslet. Oh yeah, she. Uh, when I was making my list, she was she was a consideration. Yeah, and there are several movies uh, of hers that I have not seen that you have. I never saw Heavenly Cre- uh, Creatures. You gotta see that. I it's know. So good. Um, that's that's Peter Jackson, right? Uh huh. Okay. 
before he went into his huge epic phase. Because uh, it seems like a very small, intimate type story. Yeah, which is, I mean, it was kind of a break for him because he had yeah. been doing, you know, sort of the Sam Raimi type of, right. like, early Sam Raimi stuff, very, very bloody, uh, gory horror yeah. uh, films. And, uh, I mean, but that sense of dread he brings to, the sense of dread that you expect from a horror movie is in Heavenly Creatures. There hmm. are horror-ish elements in this drama. But uh, I've got to see point. it. I'll put it on the queue. All right, but, uh, yeah, she is, you know, it's interesting. I remember hearing this discussion on... Uh, Never not funny. Uh, Jen watched uh, The Holiday when it came out uh, with her and Cameron Diaz. And it was always fascinating to me that, like, clearly Cameron Diaz is the is supposed to be the beautiful woman. And Kate Winslet is supposed to be the plain one. And Kate Winslet is gorgeous. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, as far back as like Titanic and when she was young, very young. Yeah. And Sense and Sensibility, which is even before that. But, like, she just – it doesn't matter what role she's in. Because, I mean, if you think of her, like, in Eternal Sunshine, she plays a character that's fairly unpleasant at times. Yeah. And, you know, has layer upon layer of clothing on, and she has a new color hair, which actually looks kind of cool sometimes. But yeah. just – but she's always beautiful. But it's it's more than just, you know, she's not on here because she's beautiful. But, um, but she just – but it is it's a natural kind of beauty. It's not like movie star beauty. It's the kind where you're like this is better than movie star beauty. Yeah. Like in in uh, Little Children, which I know is a movie you don't really care for, but she is she's gorgeous in it, but she does seem like a housewife, yeah. an unhappy one. Yeah. You know, and I mean she there's a scene where like she's wearing like very unflattering overalls and it's a testament to her as an actress where she has created a character that I believe she would wear those. Uh-huh. You know. Um but, uh, you know, she's – and in Eternal Sunshine, like, she's got a freaking job in that because she has to convey this unpleasant character and yet she still has to let us – show us what Jim Carrey might have seen in her at some point because sure. almost all the memories that he has of her are bad. So it's like, oh, man, this is going to be rough. <laughs> um, but she – she's amazing in that movie. A lot of people are really good in that movie, but like she really, she takes kind of a supporting role and turns it into a lead. She was nominated for it. And I'd say rightfully so. But, um, you know, she even takes in finding Neverland, which did you see that? No. Okay. It's a, it's a good movie. I'm not sure if I'd say it was great. A lot of the acting's really good. And she takes kind of this, the typical role of like, Oh, this mother who's spoilers, uh, dying, of you know, quite quite possibly the consumption, David. Um, but you I, know, I just love the consumption. I know you do. You are consumed by the consumption. It sounds like <laughs> I love that. It's, I love that, that, that we, uh, as, a, as a as a as a as a culture, as a race, uh, as a species, that we are able to have a romantic terminal illness. <laughs> it speaks to our nature as humans. Um. But, uh, but yeah, in Finding Neverland, I mean, she rises above that fairly stock character of, like, just, oh, this British woman that she's, oh, she's so prim and proper, she won't even let us know that she's dying. Um, and she's very heartbreaking in that film. And uh, just, yeah, I mean, she's, and I do not care for the acting in Titanic, but she's really good in it. You know, I mean, sure. she really does seem like, and talk about a role we've seen a billion times before. I mean, she really does seem like this young girl who 
wants to who wants to get out of the situation she's in and she yeah. sees an opportunity but you i i buy her as very young and very immature yeah you know i i think i read somewhere oh maybe it was in entertainment weekly that like if dicaprio had lived i don't think the relationship would have lasted you know i think she might have grown up and moved on yeah so <laughs> but uh, anyway so yeah number 3 kate winslet let's move on Okay, my number two. Again, this is someone we talked about uh, a lot when we did the Zhang Yimo episode. It's it's Gong Li. Gong Li. Okay. Um, and of course, uh, so let's we talked about Judo. Yeah. Um, which you didn't get a chance to see, right? I didn't see that one. Uh, it's 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 very good. Um, uh, it's it's also I think uh, n- it's notable how many movies she's in uh, I- that in which she is. She is the lead, even mm. from a very early, even from very early in her career. Yeah. She's the type of actress who uh, takes center stage. Yeah, you know, um, the uh, the the DVD, the cover art for the Emperor and the Assassin. Uh, oh yeah, Emperor and the Emperor and the Assassin is is very much. Uh, it's it's like a little microcosm of how she's viewed because she's in the center and she's in focus, and the other two guys are sort of behind her and <laughs> and like you can almost kind of see through them it's like because everyone's focus is always going to be on gong li right. when she's on the screen as long as she's speaking chinese because when she okay. speaks english she loses some of her luster which i would say is you know uh, a lot of people have made that uh complaint with uh, penelope cruz who um i think she can be you know pretty good when she's speaking english but everyone's like oh my gosh have you seen her in this and this and you're like i don't know why she's so popular based on the english films i've seen but uh i remember i okay i know you don't care for miami vice um no and she's only so so in it but her character is very magnetic yeah you know and i think there's a reason well she's gorgeous i mean she's gorgeous but there is there she brings a uh she brings a great deal of like weight to that role yeah you know and you really feel like she's like more so than anybody else on screen, she's in control of what's going on. Yeah. You know, and uh, as much as, as the movie itself is, is only so-so, uh, or just straight up bad, if you want to go that way. Um, and she, you know, she struggles with the English lines, but, like, she just brings a great deal. She just kind of has her own gravity, where everybody, including the viewer, is just looking at her and just being like, she's mysterious and very, I'd say the word is exotic in that film. Okay. But I think I'm not sure. Have I seen anything else of hers? Memoirs of a Geisha. Didn't see that. Then uh, oh, you've seen Rise of the Red Lantern, of course. Oh yes, yeah. yes I have. And we we talked at length about that movie. So right. go back and listen. Is that episode? That's episode sixty. Sixty. Go back and listen to that. You'll hear lots of talk about Rise of the Red Lantern and Gong Li in general. We didn't, but since that was so that was the Zheng Yimou Zheng Yimou episode. So we talked about Judo and Rise of the Red Lantern and To Live. Uh, so I want to talk briefly about. Um, uh, Farewell, Farewell, My Concubine, okay. which is one of my fa- favorite movies of all time, uh, and is the movie. In w- it's a movie in which really the the two male, uh, the two males are are the lead, yeah. but uh, the source of conflict is is of course the woman, right. and that's Gong Li. And so even when she's not the uh, literal center of the film, <laughs> she manages to be the the thematic center of the film. Yeah, uh, and that's a great movie, uh, Farewell, Farewell, My Concubine. It's now a you movie are... that I always uh, say the title of too fast and, and just sounds like like I'm saying, like Colin Farrell, My Concubine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, oh, you know Farrell, My Concubine. Um, 
<laughs> you may know him as Colin Farrell. I only know him as my concubine. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the it's it's a story. Uh, this will this might uh, sell the movie because I know you haven't seen it. Right. Right. This will sell the movie to you. It's basically about uh, two actors. Uh, this is back in the sort of uh, early uh, early twentieth century, I think, um, and and for decades actually they. Uh, they're opera actors, and they become famous for this one opera and the roles that they play. Wherein one of them is like a, a, a king, or maybe a prince, or some sort of royalty, and the other one is sort of a, a lowly and disgraced like transvestite. So they're both incre- as they go on through life, they're both incredibly famous uh, and uh, incredibly respected as actors. But they're so identified with their roles mm-hmm. that there's a natural like. Uh, People just assume they they treat the one who played the king or the royal uh, or whatever with more respect than hmm. and they assume things that he's a more respectful person uh, than the guy who played the transvestite. But they're both in love with Gong Li. That sounds actually very interesting. Yeah, that's another long one. It's like two hours and fifty minutes. That's all right. Uh, okay, so let's move on to your number two. My number two, I believe, is also your number four. Okay, so let's uh, get to it. Which is uh, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. Who is, now I've not seen uh, Elizabeth the Golden Age, which was pretty widely panned, but yeah, no one everyone it. said her performance was pretty good. Who's um, everyone? No one saw it. Who are you talking about? Well, like critics and stuff. No, anyone who says they saw that movie, <laughs> they're just assuming, no one saw it. They're assuming. Probably Kate including the nominating committee, because seriously? Yeah. Um, but... Uh, I don't think I've ever seen her give a bad performance. No. Nope. You know, I mean, like, I was looking at her filmography today, like, trying to figure out, okay, what movies am I going to incorporate on my list? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to narrow this down a little bit because she is riveting in everything. Now, I've, and I yeah. haven't even seen her in, uh, in I'm Not There. Oh, that's, uh, I don't like that movie a bit, but I, she's, She's really good to watch. I mean, yeah. To me, there's nothing. The her sections are so uh, are so arch that there's not really a lot of room for her to to create a believable character. Okay. But she is, uh, yeah, she's captivating. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what the word you used before. Riveting. Riveting. Yes, that's what she. Um, that's what she is. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see her when she because. You know, if you look at her in, for example, I'd say, like, like Notes on a Scandal, where she plays, it's a very straightforward type of character. It's a very sad character. It's one that, like, you know, going into the movie and knowing about what her character is going to do, like, you walk into the movie expecting to dislike her and condemn her, and then quite the opposite. I mean, you wind up really just feeling bad for her. Um, Feeling even worse for her husband, incidentally, but still feeling pretty bad for her. But um, but that's that's a pretty straightforward character. I would say that she's actually, I'd say more, much more so than a lead. She's like a character actress. Yeah. Like looking at this, I've got the Aviator, uh-huh. which she's great in, but that's a character role. Um, the, the Lord of the Rings movie. Lord of the Rings, The Good German, where oh, she does. She does something really amazing where she basically is doing a solid Marlene Dietrich, uh-huh. but is also not just resting on that. She could have, but she's not. She's also creating a character that I care about, um, you know, who is, of course, a little icy because Marlene Dietrich was pretty icy, but really had, you know, 
strong motivations and strong emotional investment in the story. And uh, yeah, she's the good German is is a it's more of an experiment than a film. But she does not approach it that way. She approaches it like it was any other any other movie. Well, I um, want to. Uh, I've, I've often said that. Uh, you know, someone can give a really good performance, but it's not until you see them in something else where they're totally different that it yeah. really sinks in how talented they are. And two movies that came a year apart were Elizabeth and the Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, yeah. And they're such amazingly different performances. It's hardly even the same person at all. It's, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's different than what you were talking about last week with, with people like Gene Hackman who are, you know, there's a little bit of them in every... Yeah. Uh, it's and nothing that's a bad, you know, it's just two different styles of, a, of acting. You right. know, that's good in its own right, but Kate Blanchard is the type of person who is almost unrecognizable from role to role. I mean, physically she looks the same, of course. You know, she's not, she's not Lawrence Olivier putting on a different nose. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, Elizabeth is such a powerful and, and willful yeah. uh, character, whereas, uh, what's her name in Talented Mr. Ripley yeah. uh, is, is naive and gullible. Yeah. Uh, well, and I mean, in Coffee and Cigarettes, she plays two characters in one scene, yeah. and they're miles apart. I mean, yeah. you know, just and that and that's the thing is she plays character. She often plays characters that there's you could say there's a gimmick. You know, her playing Bob Dylan. That's that could be kind of a gimmick. Uh-huh. You know, her in The Good German, where she's doing Marlene Dietrich. That could be a gimmick. And in Coffee and Cigarettes, where she's playing these cousins, you know, but it's one actress playing them, that could be a gimmick. But she always rises above it by approaching each character as somebody with real emotions, with real motivations. And in Coffee and Cigarettes, I mean, you'd never know. You would never know that that was the same woman because it just seems like any other scene in that film, you know, where... Where, like, one cousin just clearly resents the other, and then the one who is being... Res- she plays, I believe, herself. Yes. Um, but the Kate Blanchett character is not trying to make waves. She realizes she has it pretty good. She doesn't defend herself that much against her resentful cousin. Uh-huh. And both... You see the motivations of both characters, and it really does just seem like two really good actresses playing these characters instead yeah. it's one amazing actress playing both of them yeah um but yeah so well, i want to recommend to people who haven't seen heaven uh, oh yeah with g van bc uh did you see it i didn't see it um i put off seeing it for so long because i heard uh, it was only so so well I, the reason i put it off and it, yeah it didn't it didn't get fair it, fairly reviewed uh but the reason i put it off is because it was written by Krzysztof kieslowski and it was supposed to be his mm. next film when oh, he okay. died and uh tom teichver uh took it over and my my thing was yeah, I, I liked Run Little Run but Tom Tyker who the fuck do you think you are you're not right. Christoph Kieslowski but it's actually it turned out to be it's it's really good okay and it really does blend you can see the Kieslowski in it but you can see the the uh, the more larger than life Tom you know Run Little Run and yeah and uh, and uh, Flair yeah I'm reminded there's a, there's a movie out there I don't know if it was ever in theaters it's called The Big Brass Ring and uh-huh. uh, it's with William Hurt. It's got a pretty good cast, but apparently I've not seen it. But apparently, it's not very good. And it's based word for word on a script. It, they basically they filmed a script that Orson Welles wrote. Huh. But everyone's like, "Yeah, it's a shame he didn't direct it because as a writer he was good, but as a director he was great." You right. know, it's like you've you've missed the point. Um, but all right, so you're number one, David. That's where we're at. Here we go. 
this was not even – I did not have to uh, to puzzle over this at all. Right. Uh, I knew who my, who my number one was going to be, and that's Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren. Uh, she's fucking magnificent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think where I would have first seen her. Um, Teaching Mrs. Tingle? No, I think – I, you know, I don't know. I honestly don't know where I first... It probably was The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Okay. I saw that in high school. That's probably where I first where I first saw her. And then, uh, yeah, also when I was in high school, I watched Madness of King Madness George. Madness of King, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, um, and, you know, we've talked about Cook, Thief, Wife, Lover on this show before, right. so we don't really need to go in, into it too much. But let's, let's mention Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Okay. Um, we talked about... You, you talked about last week... Um, how sometimes it's okay for an actor to be chewing the scenery and playing over the top. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, if it's right for the movie and the character, right. then it's right. And man, Helen Mirren gets it right in Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Yeah. I personally, I kind of like that movie. I've never seen it, actually. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it feels, it's very, you know, Kevin Williamson. It's very of that, yeah. of that era, you know, um, but uh, yeah, she is just de- deliciously evil. You yeah. know, there's like there's no teacher could ever get away with really being like this. Uh, it's cool that I mean, based on what I've heard and what you've told me, and just the trailer, it's cool that it's like rather in as much as I like it when a char- when an actor or an actress humanizes a character. Uh-huh. It's kind of cool when it's like okay, this is all about how teachers are perceived. Right. So you know what? I'm going to play it as she is perceived, which is this dragon lady, evil yeah. woman. Yeah, she's great in it. Um, so there's that, and then uh, and then she's she's got a small role in the pledge. Uh, oh yeah, because any uh, actor and actress of note have a small role in the pledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm trying to think. Uh, Last orders. Uh, oh yeah. Which is. Uh, that should end up eventually. We should put that on the movie of the week. Uh, I agree uh, on the on the on the website because that's a, a great movie that not nearly enough people yeah. have seen. You know, if if you didn't see Ray Winstone until Sexy Beast, what was this? Uh, Sexy Beast was first, and then it was Last first. Orders. Um, but uh, it's yeah, it's it, it was a, a great uh, performance from Ray Winstone and and Helen Mirren. Yeah. Um, Gosford Park, of course. Gosford Park might be the first thing that I saw where I, like, she was so good that I'm like, I'm going to need to get that name. Yeah. Like, where I, I'd see, you know, and I realized I had seen her previously, but I, I saw that and I was like, yeah, who is that? That's amazing. Yeah. You know, um, and then, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, if we, if this, if was, if this episode had been like our top 10, she, she would have made it. Yeah. So um, she uh, she was in a movie with my number five. Uh, she was uh, a voice in Hitchhiker's Guide. She's oh, like yeah. A, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I want to actually go back because I saw all these movies, and it's only – it was much more recently that I went back and watched Peter Weir's The Mosquito Coast. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's a really, really great movie. Yeah. You know, and we talked about Dead Poets Society earlier and kind of ragged on it, you mm-hmm. know, but – as far as that genre of movies go, yeah. and that is almost its own genre, yeah. you know, the inspirational teacher. Yeah. Dead Poets Society is a good movie. Well, I mean, it set the standard, yeah, at that, I'd so. say. And um, Peter Weir is a really great director. Uh, yeah. One of my favorites. Uh, and uh, Helen Mirren's role in, in Mosquito Coast is, is fantastic, and I think it... Uh, I don't want to. I, I can't really speak for 
for women, obviously, but I think that's a really interesting role, uh, an interesting look at uh, the role of the mother in a, or wife in a family. Right. Um, you know, because uh, there's there's this the the clash, of course, between the traditional role of of being support the husband, take care of the kids. Right. You know. Uh, but and then, then what it, do you do when the husband is starting to? It's like I can't support a lot of what you are saying and what you are doing. Yeah. So what now? Because now I actually have to be more of a mother than a wife. I have to because what he's doing, what he's saying, is now starting to endanger us. Yeah. You know, and yeah, it's the kind. It is the kind of thing where speaking as somebody whose wife picked up and moved out here because of me. Uh-huh. I look at the Mosquito Coast. I'm like, man, I can never let Jen watch this because <laughs> she'll just be like, hey, wait a second. Um, yeah, because certainly moving out here was a difficult decision for, for Jen. You know, I'm, I'm sure that – what? She's a wedding photographer. There's weddings all year long here. Well, yeah, That's... but, you know, she had to leave some – she had to leave her friends oh, okay. and stuff like okay. that. I don't put put much stock in friends, so that's that wouldn't have occurred to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay. So that's yeah, that's the Mosquito Coast. Uh, one of the greatest uh, performance, her one of her greatest performances, mm-hmm. and possibly my favorite Harrison Ford role ever. When was the last time he acted like that? Acted like that? Just acted that well. Uh, he was good in The Fugitive, but I mean that character—it's so unlike anything he's done. Uh, yeah. That. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's probably his best. Yeah, I, I, I um, agree. Now, actually, you know, it's gotten to the point now where Helen Mirren is so regal that people associate, and it's not just because of the Queen, but then she went and played Elizabeth I. I mean, she right. just she's known as kind of this, you know, she's a dame, and she's just very, you know. But, and I know you didn't care for the movie The Clearing. Oh, that's right, yeah. But in The Clearing, all, I'd say all three actors do a really good job in a movie that's subpar. But she's... There are more than three actors in the movie. Right. But, I mean, everyone does a good job, but those... Because there's a... Oh, what's the guy who plays... Who's the FBI guy? I love that actor. I don't remember. And I can't think of his name. He's, uh... He was a scientist in that dumb, uh... Michael Crichton timeline movie. Stanley Tucci? No. Fuck. Sorry. Matt... Kranz? Craven? Matt Craven. All right. Yes. I love him. I saw him yeah. driving uh, a few months ago. I think you told me that. Um, uh, I love him in The Clearing. Uh, yeah. He has that little thing about where he drinks a Diet Pepsi with breakfast, and he, had the, he and Helen Mirren had that little exchange about how yeah. it's bad for it. It's like two sentences. There are, there are a couple a really moment. nice moments in yeah. that movie, but she really, I mean, she just she does seem like just a regular woman, you know, just in an extraordinary situation, certainly, but... She drops all – she manages to drop all the – baggage is the wrong word. But all the baggage that comes with an act – with casting an actor like her. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like she brings so much with her that for her to just play just a normal suburban wife, you know, at this point in her career, like – but she manages to do it. I absolutely buy it. It seems like um, – it's interesting you bring that up that – those stereotypes. It seems like, um, uh, with the exception maybe of Last Orders, uh, the British seem to want to wedge her into that more than America. Let me look at Mosquito Coast and, uh, yeah. you know, and Hitchhiker's Guide, of course, you know, yeah. like, 
uh, Americans aren't that as American films aren't as interested in her being that role. Yeah, you know, but the British are very interested in, because they put her in those stupid uh, only in Britain type of small town comedies. That, oh yeah, that I hate more and more with each with each like one. Like Calendar Girls. Yeah, well, she's yeah, she's in. There are two distinct. Uh, I mean, they're basically two sides of the same coin. There uh, of these type of comedies. There's the uh, let's take the rough and tumble characters and have them do something cute and domestic. Yeah. Like in Green Fingers that she's in, where oh okay, uh, which is about uh, prison convicts who learn to be gardeners. <laughs> Now is and then is Clive Owen in that? Yeah, he's the star of it. Oh my! And then of course she's in Calendar Girls, which is the opposite. Let's take the respectable, cute, you know, domestic, old-fashioned yeah. people and have them do something scandalous, like grow weed, like Brenda Blethyn. Although that that movie's kind of okay because yeah. Craig Ferguson's funny in it. Uh, or of course, take her clothes off uh, for a camera, right. like in Calendar Girls, which but, is a dumb movie, despite the fact that Pat Oswalt is briefly in it. <laughs> I didn't see. I didn't see it. But oh, uh, yeah, they go to uh, they go to America. Like uh, they, they go to Hollywood, and, and he's yeah. the representative of America to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds, that sounds about right. That's God. That's a terrible fucking movie. Calendar Girls and Julie Walters is in it too, right? Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. All right. So number one for Tyler. Number one for Tyler, and much in the same way uh, as you were with Helen Mirren, I didn't have to think twice. Uh, my favorite actress is uh, my favorite female actor. I apologize. Is uh, Kathy Bates. All right. Um, and here's what fascinates me about her. In what well, in interviews and stuff, <laughs> she is just such a normal person. Uh-huh. And I mean, because she's—I mean, she's not a star. I mean, she's you know a very much a character actress, but she just seems like such a, just kind of a whatever. Yeah, okay, I guess I'll act. You know, and she—I'd say more so than anybody in the la- that we've mentioned in the last couple of weeks, uh-huh. she has acted in more crap uh-huh. than anybody else. Well, I mean, give me some examples. She was in The Water Boy. Oh, yeah. She was in Rat Race, which is not that bad of a movie, and she's actually... But like Robert Duvall or Gene Hackman, she's always really good in it. Yeah. You know, um, but... Uh, yeah, Rat Race does have some funny stuff. It does it. have I some funny it. stuff in it, but, like, if you look at it, she's in P.S. I Love You, she's in... You know, but every... But what's interesting about her is it's almost like she'll do, like, five or six... Middle of the road, if not just plain bad movies. Uh-huh. And then she'll be like, well, guess I better do another uh, amazing Oscar-nominated performance. And then she'll turn out a Primary Colors or uh-huh. About Schmidt or yeah. something like that. And, um, of she, course... What? Uh, I'll, I'll let you... This is your pick, so I'll let you get to this. Okay. Well, of course, in Misery, I mean, she's... It's a character unlike anything I've ever seen. Because it is... Very, uh, very, an outsized, over-the-top character that you're in sympathy with, and then you lose that sympathy pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, and she has to be certifiably crazy. I mean, not self-aware, not self-doubting. And she's given, she's given crazy lines to say, "cock-a-doody car," for example. Uh-huh. But she, but what's more, there, she's given hilarious things to say and do. Yeah. She does them. It's funny, but she also has to terrify us, yeah. which she also does. Well, what I was going to say a second ago is that uh, both Primary Colors and Misery are both movies where I had I had already read the novels okay. uh, when I saw the movie, and they're both characters that you 
would think in reading it, like, these people can only exist in a book. Like, if someone right. were actually doing and saying these things, it would seem too ridiculous. Yeah. It's, uh, but And both characters, she pulls off so heartbreakingly well. Yeah. They're, they're such real people, despite the fact that they are both in their own way fucking insane. Yeah. I mean, she has to, like, brandish a gun in primary colors and be uh-huh. all crazy and stuff. But there's one moment... It's right before she, you know, before her role is over. Um, the movie's ten years old. Now. Okay, that's it is, isn't it? Jeez, yeah. it's right before she kills herself. Um, and she's, and she, the people that you know, John Travolta and Emma Thompson, characters that she has put her faith in for her entire life, as she realizes that they are just as flawed. They are, in fact, politicians, just like anybody else, like Obama, like Obama. And she, she cannot take it, and so she's talking to this to this character Henry, and tears are streaming down her face, and she gives this nice monologue about how she cannot exist without them. She's like, she's like the moon, where it can be beautiful, but it's only because it's reflecting the light of the sun. Uh-huh. And she says, the, "The Stantons are my sun," and it's just it's one of my favorite monologues. It's one of my favorite moments because it is so just like anything else. I mean, it's. It's a, it's melodramatic in what's written, but I am right there with her. I'm almost crying, and it's amazing. But then flip it around, and in About Schmidt, she's given no moments like that. Yeah. She's just a character. I mean, never have I seen a character who just is. She existed before the movie started. She's going to continue after the movie's over. It's literally just like, I mean, it's a character... I mean, talk about somebody who you believe could actually exist. I mean, she it's just such a lived-in character, and her house is so lived-in. Just she, Kathy Bates is so comfortable in her own skin in that role. Yeah. And, I, and you know, characters like that are not often nominated for Oscars like, yeah. because she isn't given any big scenes except maybe where she gets naked, which is pretty brave. You know, yeah. uh, you know she's not given any big scenes. She's just allowed to exist. And and is perfectly pulled off by Kathy Bates, and she was nominated, and rightfully so. You know, we uh, we talked about sometimes um, uh, a really a really good performance uh, will elevate the levels of other people's performances. Yeah, and I I, I don't think Dermot Mulroney has ever before or since been as good as he is in About <laughs> Schmidt, and I, I I mean, and I really think that it's because Kathy Bates created the atmosphere yeah. and made made the world that those people that family inhabits so real that I don't I don't think it would be that I don't think Dermot Moroni would have other way any other way to, way to play it. Yeah, I mean she's given some you know there's for example there's one moment where Jack Nicholson is thrown out his neck, he can he can barely move and he is in bed and he is u- using a bedpan. Uh-huh. And so Kathy Bates walks up and she's like do you have any is like is there anything in the bedpan for me? Uh-huh. And that's the thing. That line, she could have said it very, very arch. She could have said uh-huh. it like anything in the bedpan, you know. Uh-huh. But she does, or she could have played it as just like so anything, you know, just very casual, too casual perhaps. But she doesn't. She says it as if like, hey, by the way, I know this is uncomfortable, but you know what? It's no big deal. Uh-huh. And she, she sells that like, yeah. she's just an actress who you think she's going to zig and she winds up zagging, and uh, and you're <laughs> like, that's absolutely the best way to do it always zag david <laughs> <laughs> it seems like people should learn that by now yeah because whenever someone says 
And you thought they were going to zig, but they zagged instead. Yeah. That's you need to anticipate better. You need to start to anticipate that zag yeah. at this point. But uh, uh, anyway. yeah, we should all choose zag, or to use your terminology, we should all wind up zagging. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's a, that phrase, like, that's a crazy phrase. Like, I wound up doing this. Like, you just, like, found yourself, oh. It appears I am zagging. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so those are, our, those are our five favorite female actors. Again, long episode. So let's just wrap it up and say that uh, go to the website, battleshipretention.com. Leave messages. Start topics on the forum. Do whatever you want to do. And uh, as always, the Battleship Pretension store, up and running. All right. (laughs) Have a good week, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye.